Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Twice Freed by Patricia Sanjan with permission of Christian Focus Publications. And we are on Chapter 5. If this teaching brings a sure hope of eternal life and joy, then let us take heed to it. It was Afia who spoke, her hand on her husband's knee, her face lifted to his. Everus had visited his old boyhood friend in the morning, and they had been delighted to see each other, and Philemon had ordered a scrumptious midday meal. But the food had grown cold and laid almost untouched on the platters as, as Everus revealed the real purpose of his visit. Far into the afternoon, he and Philemon had talked and argued, and Archippus had sat listening, clasping his knees, sullen and silent. In the shadow of her room, Afia, too, sat listening, unnoticed, for this was men's talk, and nobody supposed that she was paying any attention. And now the guest was gone, and the all but untasted food had been removed. Archippus had gone to his duties, and Philemon and Afia were left alone. Then, in the quiet of the evening hour, she had come forward and sat down on a low stool at her husband's feet. How have I feared death? cried Afia, often in the winter when the goddess mother mourns her daughter who has returned to the underworld and the wind moans in the rocks and the jackals howl in the canyons and the lights. The nights are long and dark, I have thought. Is this what death will be like, to go into the winter gloom of the underworld where the demons howl? Our death go in through the doorways of our Phrygian graves, but who has ever come back to tell us how, how they fare except this Christ? But my love, murmured Philemon, deeply moved in spite of himself, a crucified Jew, a Galilean peasant, put to death by the Romans? It's fantastic. Little Pascaia wandered into the room and her father lifted him, her on his knee. But he conquered death, insisted Afia, and he endured the crucifixion of his own free will. No one conquered him. Have you forgotten what Master Ephorus had said? His death was an act of love, an atoning sacrifice. Have any of our gods loved that? Artemis, the hunter, pursues to, to destroy, and Zeus in his paradise hurls thunderbolts at us, and we fear the demons who haunt the rocks and the gods who pay no attention. Do they come to us as he comes and say, Fear not, or I am the way? Hush, said Philemon, thoroughly alarmed. Do you not fear the vengeance of the gods, that they dare, that you dare talk that way? If gods there be, up in the clouds, replied Afia boldly, he spoke of one god who came down to us and had compassion on us and suffered for us, and my heart tells me that this is the true god. Tonight I shall pray to him, and, O oh, my husband, I entreat you to pray with me, as Master Ephraim taught us to do. Philemon sat in silence for a long time. A soft-footed slave came in to light the lamps, but his master motioned him away. The room grew dark, and up above the vine trestles the stars shone down on them. And then the moon rose behind the mountains, flooding the little courtyard with silver light. But we shall lose our trade and our context, he said at last. Men have been stoned and killed and crucified because they have followed this Christ. That Paul, of whom Ephesus was speaking, was nearly lynched two or three times in Galatia, 
and beaten up and imprisoned in Macedonia, have you counted the cost, Sophia? Glory and eternal life, she replied instantly. Other men have endured, and so so can we. Paul is preaching the news in Ephesus, and they he, they say it is spreading like a summer fire. They are, there are believers in Heropolis, and in Laodicea, and in Smyrna, and in Philadelphia. They say there are few names even in, in Sardis. The fire of the love of this Christ is spreading, my husband, and one day I believe it will blaze out through the whole world. Listen, said Philema, torn between doubt and fear, I will do this. Yesterday, Master Polemon urged me to go and visit his friends at the seaport of Ephesus and to try and join the guild. They export wool, and Polemon has mentioned me as an honest merchant. I had already purposed to go at the time of Artemis, Artemisia and to take Archippus with me, and I can do my business. He would enjoy the games and, the, and processions. The boy Anna, uh, Onesimus can go with him to attend on him, and it will leave me free. Then I can visit this Paul myself and hear with my own ears what he has to say. I shall not stay long, for it will be the time of the sheep shearing, and the older slaves are trustworthy enough, and you can keep watch over the things in my absence. So Aphia kissed her husband and took Pascal to bed. Philemon sat up for a long time thinking, but Archippus lay tossing on his mattress, too restless to sleep. The crime he had committed weighed heavily, heavily on his conscience, and to, today when Master Ephesus had spoken much of sin and judgment, he had spoken of repentance and forgiveness. But repentance means confession, and was too hard a condition for a proud young Archippus. So he slept and woke and tossed, and slept again and woke again, and hated the dark till at last the cock crew, and he was glad, because the dawn would soon steal in his little window, and with the coming of the new day he might forget. He would go and tell Onesimus that they were going to Artemisia, and maybe in his delight Onesimus would forget too. The Artemisia took place in the month of May, and it was already April, so there was much ado to get ready. Onesimus was strong as an ox, recovered quickly from his beating, and was inwardly full of excited anticipation, although in front of Archippus he remained stonely obedient and showed no pleasure at all. The great day dawned at last, and the procession set out at daybreak. The Cessium, a light, open, two-wheeled carriage drawn by a, a horse, was waiting at the gate for Philemon with the senior slave as driver. Archippus mounted on a fine stead, stood ready to ride beside his father. Onesimus and one other attendant were to ride behind on fast mules with the luggage. Philemon appeared at last with Aphia beside him and his daughter in his arms. His wife seemed to have been pleading with him, for he loosened his hold of him gently, her hold of him gently, and kissed his hand and murmured, Peace be with you, dear one. I will not forget, and I will tell you all. Then he handed her the clinging child and climbed into the carriage, and the slave gave rein to the impatient beast, and they were off in a good pace. Last April, on the upper plains, it was a very high tide of spring, and the, the Esfidels and irises followed the rushing of the streams. Fat lambs pranced in the meadows of the meadows, and the pink mellows 
and the cries of the newly shorn sheep fill the warm air. As they dip towards the valley, Onesimus noticed new fig leaves, like small rabbit ears bursting from the aspen, aspen gray wood. Truly the earth was very good, and he wanted no other gods and goddesses than the mother of nature who scattered the spring over the waiting land, and the sun god who rode the chariots across the heavens and warmed and cheered him, and Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty who cried to his heart in the affidels, and the green the young green wheat and the white clouds and the streaming, streaming, streaming mountains behind Aeronopolis. Yes, today the earth was all good and he had forgotten his slavery. The jolting track down through the olive groves broadened out and the hoofs of their beasts clattered in the eastern highway and Onesimus's heart thrilled as he joined the crowd of vehicles and the pilgrims traveling west to they were streaming in from every region in Asia as north, south, east, and west convened, from Pamphylia to Phagia to Galatia to Bethnila, and perhaps much further. For the eastern highway ran as far as the great rivers and the river Euphrates. And now they were at a place where the two rivers met, the Lycus Glen had broadened out into the fertile field of the Meander. Now they were clattering gaily along beneath the very walls of Laodicea, which stood at the small hillocks, a hundred, a hundred and fifty feet or so above the valley. Its fortifications looked impregnable, and its Syrian gates was open, and travelers streamed forth to join the pilgrimage. One day I shall walk through the gate a free man, said Onesimus to himself, and fell a-dreaming of beauty and, and freedom. Was little Mistress Arenas out in the meadows this morning, gathering irises and asphodels? One day they would gather flowers together. Anything was possible today, for he was young and strong and happy, and it was springtime. It was a hundred miles from Laodicea to Ephesus, and it was impossible to hurry. For as they traveled westward, the highway became more and more enthronged with carriages and litters and ox carts and gigs and mules and horses, all going the same way. On the second day, the express courier from Rome, drawn by fast horses fresh from the last government house, came thundering down the highway, the driver blowing his horn to warn everybody to get out of the way. Beasts shied, pilgrims were on foot screamed, and the light cistern from overturned as the horse swirled to the side of the road. But Onesimus paid no attention to the injured occupants. He was staring after that swaying chariot and the galloping horses. These men had come all the way from Rome, from the very presence of Nero, the glorious new godlike emperor. One day he would go to Rome. The inns along the road were overflowing, and Philemon and Archippus grumbled, freely at the dirty, overcrowded accommodations and the cursing and squaggling of the hordes of travelers who kept them awake all night. Onesimus and the other slave fared better, for they slept with the beast under the stars, and in this southern valley the spring nights very were warm and the air was sweet. He enjoyed every moment of the crowded journey with its jousting and fighting and joking, and at the midday when they had prepared food and the master was resting. He and Archippus would wade through the rushes and bathe in the river. At Antioch on the Meander, they crossed the beautiful six-arched bridge over the river and took the northern fork of the road to Ephesus. 
They were not far from the coast now, and the mountains on either side of the valley broadened into the fertile plain. Rocks and cedars and cypresses gave way to young wheat and bean fields and orchards of fig trees. It was warm, sleepy, scented country, and the tired pilgrims turned in early that night, for tomorrow on the morning of the fourth day they would reach Ephesus. Onesimus was up before daybreak and had groomed and saddled the horses and swept out the carriage before the other slaves had opened their eyes. He was desperately excited, for today he would look at the city of his dreams. His master would rest on arrival, and in the evening of that very day they would visit the temple of Artemis, or Diane, as the, as the Greeks called her, the glorious mother of life and fertility. Tonight he would see her, of whom men spoke with bated breath. What did he expect to see? He did not know, but surely tonight he would see perfect beauty the very source from which flowed all life and beauty he had ever known, or known, or knew at that moment, the flowers at his feet, the dawn breaking over the eastward mountains behind them, the soft smell of the spring in the face of a child. Tonight he would know and understand. And tomorrow we'll read chapter 6. I love you, I'm praying for you, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.